Hi, I'm Shay. And I'm David. And you're listening to Board on the Air on CFCR, where we talk about board games and board game related topics. Today on the show, we will be discussing what we have been playing and the news. And for our main topic tonight, we'll be talking about the superstar effect. That's yes. not it. You know, a superstar effect. It's uh, It was an article I read by the one of the creators or owners of Pandasaurus Games talking about this effect on board games. And, and we'll, we'll get into it, but it's a really good game. What effect does that have it have on games around it? Right. And, and how much it sells. Yes. Yeah. How much, how much it sells and how much the other ones don't sell. Right. Okay. Excellent. Well, let's, let's start off with yeah. what you played this weekend, Dad. Well, it was Thanksgiving, which yes. meant uh, three days of games. Yes. And just to do a shout out to my lovely wife, who called it Thanks Gaming, we did a very good shot of actually uh, doing that. So I played Concordia Obscurio, Obscurio Cryptid, Terra Mystica, Tapestry, Space Base, Quacks, Dice Hospital, and Quest for Eldorado. The one I am going to talk about is the big hot game, Tapestry. Yes. Uh, Stonemeyer Games, Jamie Stegmeyer, uh, his games sell. Absolutely. He he makes games that are easy to learn, easy to play. Yep. Uh, approachable to all levels of gamers. This one is he called it a two-hour civilization game. So you're developing a civilization and taking it through five ages. The first age, you're just taking an income. Then you play four more ages yeah. of the actual game. And that's where you... I'm going to kind of tag team with you on this one because I also played this game and yeah. I would like to talk about it. But, you know, those ages, that's where you do more things such as play cards, um, you know, get different resources, move your guys up on the civilization and develop new technologies. Yeah, there, there's four actions you can take on a turn. And... The one action is move up on one, or well, four of the actions is move up on one of the four uh, tracks. Tracks, yeah, technology yeah. tracks. Technology, yeah. civil, technology, scient scientific, <laughs> Scientology, yeah, Scientology, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah exploration, exploration, and military, military, yeah. Uh, the fifth action is move to the next age or income, take yeah. income. Uh, it's all resource driven, so you have to have the resources to do the actions, and the actions you're taking are trying to get more resources to extend your turn. Yeah. Uh, this one was announced in August. Yeah, we actually mentioned it when it was announced. Yeah. Uh, Pre-sales was September, started to ship right away, and just hit Canada recently. There was a mix-up in Canada where they didn't ship enough games for everybody that ordered <laughs> so it got delayed a little bit uh this is hitting retail in exactly two weeks from when we're recording or just under two weeks from 13 when you'll hear weeks it. from when you're yeah. or 13, 13 days 13 yeah. days from when you hear this you nailed that uh this i'm going to say is my least favorite of his games oh you're putting it way down I remember when we talked about it, you said it was in the middle. 
because there were games you haven't played yet. What? Okay, so the one I have of his I haven't played is Euphoria. Yeah, it's supposed to be amazing, but, but it's supposed to be a really good worker yeah. placement. And eventually, I will get to play it, and we'll probably like it more than this. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of negative I talk about this game, but I do like the game. Yes. It's just his games are very polarizing. People form a lot of opinions about it, whether they're good or bad, before they see these games. Absolutely. Uh, unlike most games that we talk about on the show, I got to play it three times this weekend. So, and I played it twice at five players, once at four players. Yes. So I have a... You have a pretty good understanding, more understanding than most games we talk yes. about. Yes. Uh, I, I only got to play it once. Yes. But I still have like an opinion on the game. Yeah. I rated this not as my lowest um, because he did Viticulture, correct? Yes. And I did not enjoy Viticulture. So I have this above that game for sure. I, I um, would just like to put in a... Uh, little uh-huh. line below yeah. that that Shaylin is wrong and Viticulture is an amazing I game. I did not enjoy Viticulture, but it is a very much... I talked about... I'm sure I talked about the game yep. and how it's very much a worker placement and yep. I just did not enjoy it. So... No, for sure. It, I rate this game above Viticulture for sure, but it also isn't my favorite of his games I've played. Yes. Uh, so the good stuff on this game. Easy to play. Yes. Uh, the rule book is only four pages. I didn't see the rule book, but that is always an excellent thing. And there's a cheat sheet that's double-sided, which is the same size as the rule book. So he kind of cheats on that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, as we say, you're taking one of five actions and your turns are quick. They really are. Like, they don't take too long to get through unless you get stuck thinking too much. But, yep. you know, we kind of get into that. Yeah. It, if you overthink your moves... This game could get very, very painful. Yes. Uh, what else was good about it? It's beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous. The colors are amazing. The pieces. I mean, I guess this was the Kickstarter deluxe version. Nope, nope. No, no. This is the retail version. Okay. So in that case, it is beautiful. Yeah. So he's got hand painted or not hand painted, but painted miniatures for buildings. Yep. Which he designed after uh, a clay sculptist made them and mm -hmm. then he did the plastic based on those sculpts yeah they're and they're gorgeous figures yes and then the little care the little guys are also molded plastic and they look like really nice little figures they're painted but still for what's basically a little building you put on they could have done cubes and instead they made the buildings yeah. which is really nice yeah they're called income buildings you get uh, i believe five of four different kinds yeah. and, and those sort of coincide to each of the tracks exactly uh at four players, it was better than at five. Mm -hmm. uh, Adam told me he played it at three and really, really enjoyed it. I could see three being good. I could see four being good. I played it with five, and I think... I don't know if it had something to do with four of us were learning or just that with five people it was that long, but I did think like it could have used less. Yeah. So he advertised it as a two-hour game. It's not. No. If you are playing with more than, I'm going to say two or three, you are two and a half to three hours. It was a long game. It, and the first issue I have with it is you're not invested in what other people are doing. There is very little player interaction in this game. Yes. The only place you can interact is in the middle. And because of the way the game is set up, there's only so many moves 
on each track. So there's only so many times you're going to put out tiles. There's only so many tiles you're, times you're going to do military. Yes. Because there's not, while there's 12 spaces, there's not 12 put out a tile and 12 military. They they mix up what's on those tracks. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's like when when we played it, it and, and as we discussed, you know, you're basically to do good at the game, you need to focus on one or two tracks, right? Yep. So even though there are those, that, that, couple spots where you can interact with other players if you're not doing that area then you never do right no and that's exactly it so with five players you know while your turn is quick you still have a lot of downtime waiting for your turn to come up Mm -hmm. and i found i wasn't invested what people were doing so when it got to me i had sort of lost track of what i wanted to do next yes so it caused a little bit of delay in my movement Mm -hmm. and i saw that amongst everyone yeah we all kind of were like oh it's our turn now okay we gotta we gotta do the thing what was i doing (laughs) yeah and so that's my first negative the second negative is you have these beautiful buildings and all they do is go on a little side map yeah and and that's not even like a major part of the game no like I saw in three games, one person go heavy in it and he got 24 points from it, Mm -hmm. which is a decent amount. Yeah. But when you're talking about a winning score of about 200 in the three games that I played, it's only an eighth of what you've done. Yes. Right. And on a table, this is where you are drawn is to these buildings. Yeah. You you spend the whole time looking at them and they're really cool looking and they are things you can get. And I I believe you get like a resource out of them and stuff like that. But really for how nice they are and how like big they are, you don't get too much out of them. It felt like, you know, they could have done more. Yep. Um, Yeah. I I agree completely. It's just because of how focal point they are yeah i expected more from them definitely uh third negative is this is his most random luck drawn game that i've played yeah (laughs) there's dice you're rolling continuously and you're drawing tiles and cards blind so it's really random in how those come out uh my wife or mel mom had uh she needed a certain type of tile. She drew, drew eight of them and didn't get any tiles yeah. that she needed, right? Yeah. Whereas uh, I, I had a card that was very useful and I immediately drew a card that was even better for that and I got some pretty good points out of it. So like, uh, you know me, I don't ever have too much of an issue with randomness. Yep. Um, I, I usually find games that are random I actually like. Um, But certainly you can get stuck with it if it's too random. Again, with this experience, I didn't have it, but I did see mom not enjoying herself too much over there. Yeah. Uh, Any negatives on your side? That was pretty much all I had. The big one was just that you can get stuck thinking and then you're just kind of like waiting because I'm usually a person that if I don't know how a game works, I just kind of do stuff. And so my turns go really quick because I'm just like, I'm going to try this and see what happens. Um, So I'm not thinking too hard about it. But then you kind of finish and then you're like, well, I guess I'm just going to sit on my phone for a minute and wait for everybody else's turn. Because again, it's not one where you have to focus on what other people are doing, except for my civilization, which, you know, if people were next to a or got a building, I got some stuff. But 
you were pre- usually pretty clear on who was going to get that right away, so you didn't have to worry about it too much. For sure. So yeah, I didn't have too many other you know kind of concerns yeah. about it. Uh, lots of variability in the game in your uh, races. Yeah. Or your there's so you civilization. Get, the thing we haven't really mentioned is that you get civilization cards at the beginning, and they give you kind of power. So that there's that variable player power ability. Basically, it's a way to get points. Yeah. And I'd from discussing with you and Adam, uh, there are certain civilizations that are better with beginners than others. Yeah. And so it might be worth like after you've played it, if you want to teach this game, figuring out which ones are the easier ones to teach. Yeah. And then using those instead of trying to go random between them all. And I, I guess my last negative on the game is I like a game that is very close. And every game I played, there was at least a 60-point swing from first to last. Mm-hmm. That's not close, in my opinion. No, and especially because you had played it before, you spent the whole game way ahead of us. Yeah. And so it kind of got a little bit you know, sad because we were just kind of like, well, I guess we'll just try and catch up to him. And I mean, you ended up not winning. Yeah, no, But like, was... it felt kind of sad yeah yeah it and so all that being said uh it is a pricey game i think it's going to retail for around 105 dollars ish that's yeah and i actually pre-booked one to buy i'm not buying that copy and i've already told the guy and he already <laughs> he understands because he's played it twice and doesn't like it either yeah <laughs> this game will sell it is a good game. Yes. It's just not at the level of Stonemire that as I was that I was expecting. Yeah, and it's not like our type of game. Yes. Yeah. It's a civilization game is what they call it, but the one review I read says it's a point salad euro that's being called a civilization game. Mm, I'd agree. <laughs> I, I yeah. totally agree with that. There was not, like, the what they say is building your civilization isn't that much. Yep. Yeah. Okay, Shay, what have you been playing? Um. So other than Tapestry, I wanted to talk about Obscurio, which is a game that we played with friends on Thanksgiving. And the best way I can describe this is it's Mysterium, but just a little bit better. Maybe a little bit cleaner or easier to understand. More streamlined, More I streamlined, think. yeah. So I really enjoyed this game. Yep. And basis of it is you are your character's there you are trying you found a book i think the idea is you have one person who is a grimoire they are a book and they have to try and tell you which room they are in or you need to go to to get out of the house yes one of the other players is a traitor so they're trying to you know make you lose basically yeah and that's that's how the characters are set up so you have the grimoire who's give who has rooms he's giving you clues on those rooms and then you have to pick which of the six ones is the one to get out. Yeah. So for you use those that are familiar with Dixit or Mysterium, the pictures are very similar where they're abstract yeah, art photos. Yeah, there's random art photos. Yep. Again, very gorgeous. And the board is really nicely set up. The um, clue-giving board is, is book-shaped, and it's magnetic. So you put your cards in there, and when they put the clues on, they're using these little magnetic pointers, so you can move it around, and you're not going to lose those pointers. Uh, there's also trap figures in this. So you pull a trap out of a bag and that gives you some sort of, you know, negative negative. Uh, one, which was really brutal is you put these red screens over top. So you can't see the color, the color which was 
insane. Others are draw more traps. Others are there's another room added. So stuff like that, just to add a little extra. Um, and then also with those rooms that go out on the board, at some point the trader can say, I want to add, you know, these rooms in from a book. So wrong rooms and try and screw you over a little bit. The only thing I didn't enjoy about this game is the amount of people we played it with. We played it with four. So one Grimoire, one Trader, and two regulars. Yep. Uh, I think with that amount, it was too easy to pick out who the Trader was. Um, I agree. And it just felt like we were kind of leaving him in the dust when he did get found out, right? Yeah. Uh, I feel like with more people, it would be more confusing and a little more fun. Yeah, and you know the thing about this that I really like is the clue giver has, as you say, the book where he's putting yeah. these two round pictures down. And instead of just saying, you know, it applies to one of these, you have these pointers that are pointing out specific items on yeah. that picture. So it makes it a little clearer as to what you're going for. Exactly. It's a little easier to say like, oh, it's that object or it's that color, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a solid game. I like that there wasn't the downtime of Mysterium where the clue giver is giving cards to each person. Yeah, you're waiting for your clue. You know, yeah, it's a little easier. A, a seven-person Mysterium can take a, a couple time. hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so really solid game. I would also like to play it with more people. Think more people, a lot more fun. It was a great time, yeah. though. Uh, because Tapestry was a big game, we wanted to talk about it a lot. I think we'll save some games for next yeah, week if we not? need them. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to CFCR, Board on the Air. I'm David. And I'm Shay. And we are going to move on to the news. Excellent. Hit us with that news today. Okay. So the news is going to get busy next week because Essen is next week. Oh, right. All of the game announcements yeah, and so plays. A, a lot of stuff has been announced that's going to be at Essen. But I didn't really dig through the thousand games that have been <laughs> announced. So many. We're not even exaggerating. Like, it's, yeah, go on Board Game Geek, click uh, Essen preview, and there are a thousand games you can look at. Uh, big ones I saw. Minara is getting an expansion. Cool. Shay talked about that last week. It's uh, reverse Jenga mm -hmm. on speed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, really cool game, and this is just going to add more tiles, more uh, cards to, to mix up your game a bit. Yeah. Uh, one couple of neat ones on Kickstarter. Oath Sworn into the Deep Wood is a dungeon crawl. It comes with a soundtrack. Cool. <laughs> About 45 hours of gameplay, though. Oh, there, wow. Yeah, 45 missions, yeah. 45 hours. Uh, Tiny Epic. We're now doing dinosaurs. Cool. I, I have not looked at this one at all, but the Tiny Epics have always done well. Uh, another app integrated one is called Time of Legends Destinies, and you're going through a story. I like story games. Yeah, looks pretty good. Uh, Dominion is going to get a new expansion in the new year. They just said that. They didn't give a name or anything just, else that's going with coming. it. It is coming. We it don't is, know what it is yet. It is coming. <laughs> Shocking. A you know, I never saw this coming. No. Like a, a deck builder getting an expansion. Yeah, it's, it never happens. Who would have heard of such a thing? <laughs> uh, an interesting one. Uh, so the company that makes uh, Exploding Kittens. Yeah. So they've done a few games and they've done well, right? They just got $20 million in venture capital from uh, TCG Capital and... 
they're going to make more games. They're doing their own conference uh, called The Burning Cat. Okay. <laughs> All from one game? Well, they so they've done that one, uh, Throw Throw Burritos Them. Okay, yeah. Uh, that one we talked about last week from Zero to T-Rex. Oh, right, yeah. Right, so... Th- they have a few more games out there, and these are all the guys that uh, are from uh, the Oatmeal. Gotcha. Uh, so, yeah, they, it's a big success story. Cool. Uh, cool one coming out that I saw yesterday was Skulk Hollow. This is a two-player head-to-head sort of fighting game, and you have meeples. One guy's a monster, and the other guy's a hero, and the monster meeples about you know two inches tall, and you're trying to beat him and your characters will jump on top of them and there's a board to show where you are on him and each limb and power has a different heart category that you have to defeat so he can't use that power anymore. Cool. Looks really, really neat. Okay, that is the news. We whipped through that so we have some time to talk about the superstar effect. Yes, please explain to us a little bit more about what that is, Dave. Okay, so by the definition, it is... Something is perceived to be of higher quality, it will get a disproportionate number of sales. Yeah. So that that seems pretty clear. I mean, you can just use tapestry as an example, right? Like people before that game came out were like, yeah, we're totally going to get this game because we know this guy's going to be good, right? So this game definitely has to be amazing. Yeah. And so what this article was really talking about was the effect of, say, something like tapestry on say somebody else was bringing out another civilization game at the same time yeah it's 10 percent worse so it's almost as good as tapestry but not quite the same game Mm -hmm. it's not going to sell 10 percent less it's going to sell like 80 percent less yeah because tapestry is there right And, and a lot a lot that happens in board games is okay this game's out it's great well, is it as good as this one, right? Yeah. And I mean, we do that all the time too. We're like, hey, we like this game, but we like this similar game better. Yep. Right? And there's nothing really wrong with that. It just it is, it, it is interesting how games that are really similar, if you have something already to compare it to, you just shove it to the side, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. And it, it happens all the time. And over at Norm's uh, last week, he was talking about, you know, selling some games. And he, and he had some good games in his collection. He's like, yeah, it's a good game. But of my deck builders, it's fifth ranked, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, he, he's going to sell it because yeah. it's not going to get played as much. And, the, you know, one point the guy made that was very uh, pertinent to this is consumer information. Mm-hmm. If consumer information wasn't as prevalent as it is today, like, internet youtube all of that talking about games there is so much of that and so much comparison out there if that wasn't out there the superstar effect doesn't have as big of effect yeah i mean because it's it's all people basing it off of what other people say right that's what reviews are for people go and see reviews and they're like it's like this game or i didn't like it as much as this game because we're all people and that's how we do things right and that spreads until now you have a majority of people saying like oh but i heard this game is better like why would i buy this game so, yeah, and you know, demand is not linear, right? Mm-hmm. You know, demand is exponential. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> if a game is popular, the demand on it is going to be super high, right? Oh yeah, 
And I wonder if like the influx of games, so the amount of games that are now hitting the market every year also contributes a bit to this. Because now you have all these people coming out with games that they're trying to like make big. They're bound to overlap, right? Yeah. And, you know, board game, board gaming and board games is a little bit different in that there are enough genres out there that the superstar effect doesn't have as big a impact. Mm-hmm. Like it, it still impacts it, but you know, like if somebody came up to you and said, "Oh, what? Which is a better game, Azul or Scythe?" You know, they're totally they're different. They're completely games. different. Yeah, you wouldn't. You would say those. You can't compare those two. Exactly. So that's that's where board games gets off a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, but you know, where the superstar effect really factors in and in your point about the amount of games that are coming out is publishers deciding how many copies to print. Yeah. Right. Uh, this person or the Panasaurus guy says that in board games, production capacity isn't an issue. He says he can have as many games as he wants within three to four months. Mm-hmm. Right. But he's not going to print a hundred thousand games. He says if a game over its life can sell a hundred thousand games, it's a blockbuster hit. Yeah. You know, their goal, which I found interesting, is to sell 10,000 games in a year of a game. Of a new game, that's their goal. And he says that's a a good game. He says there's always going to be the outliers that do that no problem. Yes. Right? Like Wingspan. Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven. Yeah. Uh, Dinosaur Island. Absolutely. Which is made by Pandasaurus Games. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like there there are the outliers. But you know, for him, there there's a huge risk. Cause he says that for a company, their profit margin is about thirty percent. So to sell if he prints ten thousand games, he has to sell three thousand of them. No. For five thousand games, he has to sell three thousand of them to make a profit, or thirty five hundred to make a profit. Mm-hmm. You know, and he says that not only is the risk for him, it's to distribution too, right? Because distribution's profit margin is 10%. Yeah. Each each step you go through, the margin goes down. And same for the retailers, right? Like it's it's now, it's such a risk for people. And they're like, we got to hope that this game sells. Yeah. And, And, you know, the other part of that is, so say something does hit superstar, you know, and you've sold 10,000 copies. And a prime example of this is Wingspan. Yeah. Right? All it, of a sudden, now you're out. You're <laughs> out, right? And he's, and it takes, what he was saying, is six to nine months to find that balance of how much to print to keep up with the demand. Yeah. So it was, yeah, I thought this was just a really cool article. And the one thing he doesn't talk about on this is Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, like Kickstarter helps but also hurts right like so say kickstarter sell you sell five thousand copies on kickstarter that's a a good sale yeah but how many more are you going to sell well, that's after? The thing is, and we've talked about the issues with kickstarter and the deluxe editions and stuff like that and it's like you so you get it on kickstarter you sell five thousand off the bat and you're happy but now people have this deluxe edition. Other people are going, why would I buy the basic, right? Yeah. Or and, and things like that. Now you've kind of hampered your retail sales. Yeah, and that's a, a very prime example of this for me is Genties. Mm. 
because I played the Kickstarter version. I've seen the retail version. I don't want it. Yeah. Uh, Gugon. Yeah. (laughs) I bought the Kickstarter version because I had played it and seen the differences. Oh, definitely. And it's, it's nice. Like you like the Kickstarter versions, right? But nobody wants to spend the amount that it would cost to get it in a retail version. No retailer wants to bring in the Kickstarter version. Yeah. Although there are brands on Kickstarter offering it now. But yeah, it's just like... It, there's a weird mix going on of how do you get that game to sell the amount you want, right? Well, Without yeah. like with all of the competition. Yeah, like uh, our our friend at the local game store here, he says if he gets a lo- or if a Kickstarter is very successful, he brings in very little of the retail. Yeah, definitely. Right, but he has gone to buying some retail pledges and stuff on certain games. But you know, he's putting that money into these games. In six to twelve months, you'll see it. Yeah, you, right? you're waiting for it to come you know, in. That's that's just lost money that he can't put towards something else. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's an interesting dilemma. I don't think there is one way or the other. No, to go I don't with think it. there's a correct way. It's just kind of interesting. Market the market is interesting. Yeah. It and we just bring it to you, talk about it just because it it interests us and we yeah, thought you might like that's it. Cool. Okay, you're listening to Board on the Air. I'm David. And I'm Shay. And we will talk to you next week. Have a good night.